We'll continue today our, our meditations through the book of Ephesians. And um, the last part of chapter 5, this famous part that talks about wives and husbands and how they relate to the church and Christ. Um, but in order to understand where does this part stands, we need to, to, th- to think of the previous part. In the previous part, we saw Paul spoke about what does it mean to live wisely, to be wise, not unwise. And this, that this wise life can only take place by being filled by the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit is the way of holiness, is the way of wisdom. And by being filled with the Spirit, this conformity to the image of Christ. This is the place where Paul is bringing this section on husbands and wives. To live as wise Christians, not as unwise. And at the end of the previous section, in verse 21, he said, There will be a fruit to this wise life. And these fruits are joy, thankfulness, and humility. Humility. And this humility is expressed in the word submission. So in verse 21, he will say, Submissing, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God. And this submission, this humility that he's talking about, comes in different circles that he will, he will bring forth in the text. One of them is marriage between husbands and wives. In the following chapter, he will give us another paragraph about submission, children to the parents. And then, Slaves or servants to their masters in the workplace. Three circles that he is highlighting. Wives to submit to their husbands, children to their parents, and servants to their, to their masters. And in the three sections, he will begin with the, with the person to submit. So he will begin with wives. And then the following section, he will begin with children. And then he will begin with the, the servants. But he's not only addressing those who are going to submit, although the section starts with the title, Submitting Yourself to One Another in the Fear of God. Yes, it's about submitting, but he's also talking to the person to whom submission will take place. So he's talking also to the husbands, to the parents, and to the masters or to the lords in, in workplace. Today we'll just focus on, on the end of chapter 5, the husband's and wives, marriage. And this section is the largest section in the New Testament that speaks about marriage. Very famous section. You, you, I am sure that you have listened to it um, a lot, maybe in church, maybe in marriages, maybe in personal meditations. Very important text about marriage. And I would say it's very important today in this culture that we live in, where the meaning of marriage is being lost is being confused. Terms that we think that we all know, we all agree on, now became questionable in this culture. What is the meaning of marriage? What is the meaning of family? What is the meaning of a husband? What is the meaning of a wife? Even these simple words became questionable. In this world that is full of confusion, full of lies, the Word of God is reminding us and um, the Word of God is bringing eternal truth that will not change. What is a husband? 
What is a wife? What is marriage? What is this all about? This is what Paul is bringing to us this evening. And we need to hold fast to God's truth in this world of confusion. Remembering this, remembering this. That what we are facing is not a cultural war. It's a spiritual war. It's an attack not only on God's design, it's an attack on the gospel itself. This is what it's all about. They are not just confusing the meaning of a family. As you will see, it's a direct attack to the gospel. It is satanic who wants to confuse the meaning of marriage. And what is a man? What is a husband? And what is a, a wife? So today we will meditate on three main ideas in this text. First, what is a godly Christian wife? What does it mean to be a godly Christian wife? Second, what is a godly Christian husband? Very simple. But this is not the whole picture. At the end, Paul is bringing to us, what is the goal of this? Which is the church and its relationship with Christ. So the third point will be the mystery of marriage. The mystery of marriage. What's a godly, what is a godly wife? What is a godly husband? And the mystery of marriage. And we'll start with the wives as Paul starts in verse 20, 22. And the key word that Paul brings to the wives is submit. Notice how, how the verse began, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And the word submission is not a very nice word to listen to, isn't it? It manifests a lot of humility. And it shows many things about the heart, the heart of, of the person. And if you remember the first section, the section before that, without being filled with the Spirit, real submission cannot take place. When we talk about submission, I'm not just talking about obedience or obeying someone or following someone. Submission is to, to come under someone's else authority and to obey him willingly, out of love, happily. This is the meaning of submission or true meaning of submission. This is, this is the kind of submission that Paul is talking about. And without being filled with the Spirit, it's impossible. It's against the human nature. It's against our natural pride. And of course, this is the case for women. Without the word of Christ dwelling in our hearts richly, submission is impossible. And the submission of wives to their husbands, true submission is impossible. Rather, you'll find pride and arrogance This order, where the husbands are the head of their wives and the wives that should submit to their husbands, this order is God-made order. There is no escape. Some people try to say, well, they should submit to each other. 
No, this is, this is not true. It's clear that he's talking to the wives. Submit yourselves to your husbands. And this is not the only place. Paul says the same kind of command to wives. Here in Colossians, in Titus, in Timothy. And if you read Peter, he's saying the same. It's all over the New Testament. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands. This is the order that God established. He assigns certain roles in the family where the husband is the head and the wife is the helpmeet who is to submit to her husband. They can be inverted. In fact, when inversion took place in the Garden of Eden, the fall took place. When Eve led her her husband, the fall took place. It's an inversion of God's design if you try to invert this system. So it's a divine order. But Paul is saying, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. He's not talking to women to submit to every man. No. This submission that he's talking about, and this headship that he's talking about, it's between a husband and a wife. What a husband owes to his wife, and what a wife owes to her husband, is very unique. Not to anyone else. So whatever we will say about the woman, speaking more about what submission is all about, it's just for her husband. And young, young ladies that are sitting here, as you are thinking of marriage, think of this picture. It's not just for married women, it's for everyone. This is what, it's, what, what marriage is all about, we'll see. This is what submission should look like. Let's dig deeper to the text and see what Paul is saying about this submission. First of all, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's clear from the previous section. From the previous section, only by being filled by the Spirit, you can submit to one another. That's why only Christian women can perform this kind of submission. Submitting to the leadership of her husband willingly, happily. And this appeal to submission, it's an appeal to free, responsible person. I always say this, the Christian woman is a free woman. And when she submits, she submits freely. Not because she is coerced to, to, to submit, but because the Spirit worked in her, in her heart. And now her will moved, willingly. To rejoice, rejoice in submitting to her husband. So if you, if you can't submit to your husband, if you are struggling, the problem is not your husband. The problem is your relationship with Christ himself. Are you being filled with the Spirit? being in conformity, in this journey of conformity to the image of Christ, or not. This is your main problem. It's not the husband. Your main problem is your relationship with Christ himself. And you must realize this. In your own strength, you will not be able to do it. It's against your nature. 
Like what we said last time, you need help from above. And that's why Paul talked, being filled with the Spirit will submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. But then Paul says, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. We need to clarify this here. Paul is not saying, submit to your husband instead of the Lord. Submission to your husband should, should never, should never be above your submission to God himself. This is not what he is saying here. It's not a replacement of your submission to God himself. However, you have to submit to your husband or you should submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord himself. And think of it. How do you submit to the Lord? Are you submitting to the Lord against your will? You are not happy? Is, is it burden? Is it a burden to submit to the Lord? Or you don't talk about submission to the Lord in this kind of expressions. This is the, the mindset that should be in the minds of, of wives as they submit to their husbands. As I look to the relationship with God in submission to his will, this should be my submission to my husband. What a standard. What a standard. But this is the standard that the word of God is bringing before us as unto the Lord. As she is subordinate to the Lord. Obeying his directions and leadership. Listening to his word. So she should be with her husband in respect and honor and love. This is the kind of submission that we should see in the Christian women. By the way, you can go to certain cultures, certain countries, and you'll see women submitting to their husbands. Or they look like submitting to their husbands. But they are submitting because this is their culture. And it will be shame if they don't do so. This is not the submission that I'm talking about. It's not a kind of a societal role that she has. Or a cultural expectation. In this case it would be kind of servility. Not submission. But Paul is talking about free women. Free wives. Out of the love for God. And his word. They are submitting to their husbands. As unto the Lord. What if. What if this husband is, is sinful. Is not a Christian. Some people would argue. Well, you submit to your husband if he's like the Lord, if he's if he's loving like the Lord, if he's kind, if he's a good leader, then you submit to him. Otherwise you don't submit to him. I don't think this is the case, and I don't think this is what the scripture teaches us. Open with me first Peter chapter three. And verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Paul is, Peter is talking to Christian wives with non-Christian husbands. And he's telling her, 
he's telling them, submit to your husbands. Even those who do not obey the word. In fact, submission is tested when your will and your husband's will do not agree. If you like what he says and you obey or you submit, well, that's easy. When it will become hard, when your submission is really tested, that you are rejoicing in obeying him, even if you don't feel that, that this is the right thing. Or this, that's what you want to do right now. This is where submission will be tested. And Paul, Peter here is speaking in a context where he talks to Christians, obey to your masters, even those who are ungodly. Wives, obey your husbands, even those who are ungodly. But how can she do this? How can a Christian woman do this? What kind of strength that she may have to do this? And, and, and the, key, the key to submission comes later in verse 5. In 1 Peter 3. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. How can she do this? Only by trusting God. Or only by trusting His Word. Only by trusting His system. That this is the design that He has made. And this is the design through which He will bring blessing to her life and the fa- life of the family. The only reason these wives were able to do this. Because Peter is talking about women who did this. He's not talking hypothetically. In the old time, the holy women also did this. How did they do this? They were not better than us in themselves. They trusted in the Lord. One may have this question in her mind. What if my husband asks me to sin? We said it earlier. Your submission to the Lord is above all things. But, but think of this. Think of the way you will answer your husband if he asks you to sin. A woman can, ask, can, can answer in two ways. I would imagine two ways. One of them, she would say, No, I can't obey you. You are a sinner and this is against my Lord. I will not follow you. And she's expressing her, her unsubmissive heart and making use of his sinfulness to show it all. Or another option is that she will tell him, look, you know I'm a Christian. I love my Lord. And I love you. And I want to honor you and respect you. But you know I can't do this. So it's not just about the behavior. It's about the disposition of the heart. What kind of disposition you have in your heart as a wife towards your husband, even the ungodly husband? Of course, you will not obey him to sin. But how are you going even to express this? This tells a lot about the heart. Going back to Ephesians chapter 5. What is the ground? What is the ground 
that will make a wife to submit to her husband. Paul is giving us the ground in verse 30, 23. Why? For, for the husband is the head of the wife. This is why. This is the design. Later on, he will point to the original design in the garden. This is the design that the Lord made. Because your obedience, your submission to your husband is, is giving a picture to your family, to your children, and to the world. As the church submits to Christ, you submit to your husband. This is the picture. And the word head here is clear. He has the authority. Paul brings this word twice before in the book of Ephesians. And both of them referring to Christ as the head, the one who has the authority, the one who supplies, the one who gives to the church. It's clear. The meaning is clear. And the ground, the ground and the pattern that is brought before wives here is the relationship between Christ and the church. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Of course, everything here doesn't mean even in sin, but in every area of life. In every area of life. In the house. In the church. With regards to the children, to their jobs. In every area of life. But what is the pattern? What is the ground? As Christ is the head of the church, your marriage, your marriage is giving a picture. It's reflecting a picture, a glorious picture. Can you think of a church that is not submissive to Christ? No one can say this, right? No one can talk about a healthy church if it is not in submission to Christ. This is the picture that Paul is bringing before us. This is the pattern that Paul gives. Wives should think of their marriages, of their relationship to their husbands. And always put this image before their own eyes. How the church relates to Christ. And this is how you should relate to your husband. And now... I'll move to the husbands. As Paul moves to the husbands, starting from verse 25. What is a godly Christian husband? As he began in 22, he said, wives. In verse 25, he said, husbands. The first word, love. Love your wives as Christ also loved the church. This is the first section. We'll begin verse 25. A second section is verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. And we'll look at these two sections. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as your own body. First, love her as Christ also loved the church. This is the pattern. Again, he's bringing the relationship between Christ and the church. And he's highlighting this word, love, love your wives. It's interesting that when Paul talked about 
the man being the head. He was not talking to the men. He didn't tell the men, you are the head and act as a head. He didn't say this. He didn't bring headship as he is addressing the men. And I'm whispering to men. Don't talk about yourself as being the head. We know that you are the head. Act as the head. Act as the head. What does it mean to act as the head? Not to have this harsh attitude toward your wife. Violent, unloving authority. But it's a sacrificial leadership. A head who dies for his bride. As a head, he took the initiative. He stood up. She didn't even ask him to stand up. He took the initiative. This is the head. This is the sacrificial love that the head should have. He came to her while she is in her sin. She didn't even ask for him. Unclean, unfaithful. And he came to her. Not only came to call her, he came to die for her. Leadership, headship, before being a privilege, it's a burden, it's a responsibility. And here we see the head coming to die for the one he loves. A love that costs him life. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church. And see how he loved her. He gave himself for her. His love was not just with words. Not empty words. But willful, sacrificial action. Gave himself for her. He suffered for love's sake. He went to the cross. As a willing, loving person. And his action on behalf of his people. With the supreme demonstration of his love for them. And he did this not because they asked him to do it. He did it, this for people who are sinning in his face against him day after day. And as husbands, we are called to love our wives in this way. This is what it means to be the head. You protect your wife. You would die as you are protect her. This is what Christ did. He protected his wife. He stood against her enemies. He protected her from sin. From Satan, from death. And the price of this protection was his own life. He was this, this prince that slayed that dragon for his wife. He stood up to save her and to protect her.
And as men, this is how we should love our wives. If someone comes to hurt my wife, physically, or verbally, I would stand. And I would look to him in the eyes and I would say, over my dead body, you would touch her. This is what it means for a husband to love his wife. This is how Christ loved his wife. But not only physically. You protect your wife spiritually. You would remove from her anything that would harm her and harm her spirituality. You would make sure to what she listens to, what she reads, what she what she sees, who are the friends. Not in an overprotective way that you stop her from doing anything, but if you know that something would harm her life spiritually, you would talk to her, you would stop that. You are the one who is responsible to keep the peace of the house, the spirituality of the house. You are leading the house spiritually. You are protecting the house. The peace of the house is your responsibility. You protect your house from quarrelsome. I think you know it when fights took place in houses and the silence become the main thing. No one is talking. Everyone is in his room or in her room. No one wants to, to do anything. Everyone think the other person is the one who is wrong and he should come or she should come as the head of the house. You are the one who should break the silence and act and bring reconciliation in the house. This is what it means to be the head. But what is the goal? Why did Christ die for the church? Verse 26, it says that, so that, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the pattern of Christ's love to the church is not just about his death for it, but also about the goal of his death. He died for her for a goal. And the husband's love for his wife as the head should be for a goal too. Christ, Christ's goal was that the church would be sanctified, may be holy, may be beautiful. And this should be the goal of the husband. He is seeking the well-being of his wife. He would do everything for her well-being, physically, emotionally, and before all, spiritually. This is my goal. I will make sure that she is always well. You would talk to her. Ask her about her life, about her spiritual life. What are you reading these days? What kind of books are you reading? How about your relationship with your family, with the children? What are the things that troubled you? You talk to her. You take good care of her. You care for her well-being. 
and physically, you need to make sure that her health is very good. Your wife's health is your responsibility. This is how Christ loved the church. He wants her to be holy without blemish. He died for her well-being. And so do the husbands. They would die for the well-being. But this is not the, the ultimate goal for him dying for the church and for seeking her well-being. There's another that. There's another so that in verse 27. So see, see the, the, the logic. Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with washing of water by the word. There another so that, that he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. And notice this. He did this to bring her to himself. He was seeking his own joy, by the way. But where was his joy? His joy was in the joy of her, of his, husband, of his wife. His joy was in the joy of his bride. He wanted to bring her to himself. And he would find joy in her well-being. This is his joy. We read this in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know what? The Lord wants us to be joyful in our marriages. As I'm talking to husbands, the Lord wants you to be joyful as you sacrifice for your wife. You do everything for her well-being because your joy should be in her well-being. So you do whatever it takes to make her well. Physically and spiritually. This should be your joy. As it is the joy of Christ. To have a beautiful bride. To bring a glorious bride to himself. But what Christ has done. Was not only protecting and dying for the church. Look to the second point. In verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. You know, these this words may remind you of, of the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. But you can love everyone as yourself. This is what the scripture says. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he's not just saying, love your wife as yourself. It is love your wife as your own body. She's not just another person that you will love as yourself. In fact, he's saying something deeper. He's saying she is your body. There is a unity. There is a kind of union between a husband and wife that nothing else can be compared to. And Paul is saying, Love your wife as your own body. She is your own body. Because the church is Christ's body. See, again, he's bringing this pattern. 
He that loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then he points us to Christ. For we are members of his body, his flesh, and of his bones. The church is Christ's body. And that's why attacking the church is attacking Christ himself. One day, when Saul was persecuting the church, Christ appeared to him. And he didn't tell him, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting the church in Jerusalem or in Judea? This is not what, this is not what the question that Christ brought to Saul on that day. He told him this. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the church for Christ. And this should be a wife to her husband. Her well-being is your well-being. Her protection is, is protecting yourself. Her growth is your growth. This shows the unity between a man and a wife. No one would ever hate his own body, right? You take care of your body. You feed your body. You care about the health of your body. The same for Christ. Christ cares for his body. He will never abandon his body. He will never leave his body. Quite the opposite. He will feed his body. He will nourish his body. He will cherish his body. He provides for his body. This is his joy. It's his body. So does a husband to his wife. So as husbands, we provide for our wives physically and spiritually. To have this food on the table day after day, it's your job. I'm not saying that the woman should not work. She, she, she can work. She can help in the provision. But the main one who is responsible to have this provision in the house every day is you, the husband. And not only physically, also spiritually. The spiritual well-being of your wife, again, is your responsibility. What she listens to, whether she goes to the church or not, whether she grows or not, it's your everyday work. Your joy is to provide for her. As Christ is nourishing and cherishing the church day after day, week after week, every time you listen to the word of Christ, every time you, you come and being fed by the word, it is Christ himself who is feeding you, who is feeding us. He's nourishing his body. So does a husband to his wife. And when Christ did this, he didn't do this for a submissive wife. He didn't come to the godly and worthy wife to do this. As I talk to women, as I talk to wives and I said, you submit to your husband who is ungodly. I'm talking to husbands. Christ gave himself to a sinful, ungodly, and unworthy church. He, he didn't leave her like that. He's changing her. But this is whom he gave himself to. 
So the day you will go to marry, or the day you went to marry, the day you, you were asked, would you commit yourself to this woman? And then you answered, I do. You would die for this woman from this day on, no matter what. Don't ever think, don't ever think as a husband that if your wife does not give you the support that you, that you want, the submission that she should do, if she didn't give you the, the, the love that you are desiring, don't ever think that if she doesn't do this, you have the right to humiliate her or to be mean to her or to neglect her or to belittle her. This is not the sacrificial love of Christ. You love regardless of who she is. As a head of the family. And in conclusion, Paul is bringing us to the goal of this. What is the goal of this picture between a husband and a wife? It's beyond them. It is beyond the man and the woman. In verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined on his wife, and they, sh and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I'm not just talking about husbands and wives. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. While we must, by God's grace, by the Spirit's help and work, nurture our earthly marriages and work on them day after day. We also must remember the fleeting nat nature of these marriages. They are momentary. They will not last forever. Remember this. Our marriages with all the splendor and glory that you can see in them being made, being designed by God himself. These marriages are shadows for, our, for a kind of a reality. And this reality is the relationship between Christ and his church. They are pointing to that. This is the ultimate goal of them. When you think of the picture in Genesis 2, that God made Adam and Eve, and we read this word, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and join to his wife. You ask yourself this question, what is the order? Is it that God created marriage and then, and then, when Christ came, he said, let me, let me try to use something that can explain what does it mean for Christ to love the church and to die for the church. Ah, I will use marriage. No. In fact, marriage was created. Marriage was made to show us the picture of the relationship between God and his people, between Christ and the church. It's not the other way around. This is the ultimate picture, that even marriage was made to show us this relationship 
between Christ and the church. And as you see godly marriages, as you see the marriage between a man and a wife, between a husband and a wife, you see a picture of the gospel. You see the picture of Christ who died because he loves his wife, because he loves the church. He wants to bring her to himself. And this is the price he made. And as you see the marriages, as you see the unity between the husband and wife, you understand the unity between Christ and the church. Christ lovingly protects his, his church, provides for his church, nourishes his church, and the church willingly, happily, is submitting to Christ. So as you see godly marriages, you see a reflection of this relationship. This is what it's all about. And this explains why Satan hates marriages. He hates godly marriages. And he attacks marriages. He loves divorce. And God hates divorce. Why would he what he, why do Satan hates marriages? Because they, they explain the gospel. They show how Christ loves his church. Marriage shows that the man will never leave his wife, should never leave his wife. But I want people to understand or to, to doubt this. I want them to think, maybe Christ will, may leave his church. So I will go and attack this picture. Give him a false view of what it means that Christ loves the church and he would never abandon the church. It is satanic. No other relationship has a higher calling than this relationship between a husband and his wife. So we should consider how honorable marriage is, how precious marriages are it signifies much greater reality the reality that will continue forever Christ is with his people but we must confess also that we are we are weak we are sinners many days we fail in our marriages and we sin against each other as husbands and wives. And the question is, what shall we do when this takes place? Where shall we go? As wives, where would you go when these things happen? Would you go to the movies and TV series? Where would you go and find comfort? And solutions. Men, where would you go? Would you go to drugs or alcohols? Or deer hunting or fishing? As you struggle in your marriage, where would you go? Where will you find your salvation? Who's your savior when you're struggling in your marriage? You go to the gospel. You come to this picture again. You come and look to Christ. 
and see his love. And ask the Lord to fill your heart with this love. Ask for to be filled, controlled by the Spirit. Because only then, only then, a wife can submit to her husband lovingly. And only then, a husband, in conformity to Christ, will love his wife as himself, as his own body. And will do whatever it takes for her well-being. Seeing that this is his own joy. To see her holy without blemish. May the Lord help us to reflect in our marriages the glorious picture between Christ and the church. Amen.